Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is December the 16th, and our chapter for today is 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter begins this last chapter by saying, I'm going to tell you again what I've already told you. I'm going to talk to you about what you already know and we've already discussed. Now, this is the way that God teaches us. All discipleship is relational. All discipleship has to do with relationships and passing on of knowledge, but not just passing on of knowledge, passing on of obedience. You see, obedience is learned behavior. We rarely hear something when we are growing up, and even as adults, that we act on immediately. Usually we have to hear something, and then we have to hear it again, and sometimes we have to be prodded like just sticking electricity to us to get us to move. And this is what he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in which I stir up your pure minds. Now, it's interesting that the word stir up here is the word to awaken. It's to give somebody a jolt. And they awaken, they open their eyes, and they arise. That's the idea here, that the people are hearing this. They already have heard Peter say this. They already know what he's talking to them about, but it's like the old Menon commercial where the man on the commercial would slap someone else in the face, and instead of insulting them, they would say, thanks, I needed that. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter and Paul does to us from time to time. It's almost like we've read this, we know this, but somehow we get into a lull and get numb to the things of God. And God's Holy Spirit just awakens us and says, wake up. This is what Peter did. He said, I want to stir up your pure minds. Now, the word pure here is not the word for moral purity. It's the word for sincere. It's the word for being able to live and speak without hypocrisy. It's the idea of mind that is open and pliable to truth and the things of God. And this is what he's referring to. He says, I'm writing to you that you might be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament. This is very important. Keep that in mind. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Now, they were already living in the last days. The last days began at the birth, life, substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection ascension of Jesus. Paul was living in the last days. John was living in the last days. All of the time period from the time of Jesus onward is the last days. You say, well, are we living in the last days? We have been in the last 2,000 years. But the reality is we're getting closer than we've ever been day by day. 
And this is what brings on the scoffers. They come in the latter part of the last days. They were there in the first century, walking according to their own desires, their own sinful lust, to what they want to do. And they continually are saying to those of us who are followers of Jesus, well, where is his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willingly forget. They make themselves forget because they don't want to think of it, that God is the creator and sustainer of all of life. It is so easy in our generation that has been lied to for the last hundred years about evolution, transmutive evolution, devilish evolution, atheistic evolution that says that we all just got here by random chance through a big bang or from some crystallization of something in the past that was just a thought. That is what we call in East Tennessee hogwash. And a person who believes, if you can find any two evolutionists that believe on any time period and anything together, it'll be a miracle. But to believe what these people cannot nail down and want you to believe just everything like just eating sugar cookies, you just keep on feeding it and just keep on eating, you have to have more faith and trust in their word than you do the words of God. Just because a person has a Ph.D. doesn't mean that they know everything. Just because a person is a professor and has doctor before their name, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean you're smarter than anybody else. What it means is that you have persevered in learning how to do school and you've learned how to write and you've learned how to take tests and do research. That qualifies you to have a say, it seems, on everything, but it doesn't. All I'm telling you is to believe evolution is far more of a leap than to just trust the validity of the Word of God, which has stood the test of time now for more than 2,000 years. And so he says, listen, you need to understand that the same God who created everything, he is still in control today. And once he destroyed the earth by water, he's not going to do that again, but there's going to be a purge. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and there's going to be a great renovation one day. And that's all that those verses say down to verse 8. But he says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Now, that doesn't mean that every day with God is a thousand years. Every day with us is a thousand years with God. It just means that God doesn't measure time as we do. He's not giving an unequivocal formula here. What he is doing is saying God doesn't view time as we do. And just because we think that it's something should happen in a certain time, that doesn't mean that God doesn't keep his promise. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he's long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason the Lord has not come back yet 
is because he's waiting. He's waiting patiently for those who have not come to know him to come to know him. God has everything on a time schedule, but his time schedule is not ours. But that day, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. This is what Paul talked about, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when he talks about these very things. And Peter's going to mention that in just a moment. And he says that the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Now, many have likened this unto nuclear fusion and to a nuclear holocaust. We don't know, but I can tell you this much God does. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, that is, everything that we know is going to be made new, what manner of persons ought we to be in the way we live, in holy living, holy conduct and behavior, in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved? being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for what? A new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. You see, one of these days, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, let me just give you a program note. I usually don't do this, but I'm telling you this toward the end of this year, that in the coming weeks, I am going to be doing a video series on the rapture of the church. Is it biblical? Is it not biblical? When is the rapture of the church? Why the rapture of the church? Why did Jesus not talk about it? Why has it been so misunderstood? Then I'm going to deal with the tribulation period, the day of the Lord, it's called in the Old Testament. I'm going to deal with the return of Christ to the earth. I'm going to deal with the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to deal with the gray white throne judgment. I'm going to deal with the millennial reign of Christ called the Messianic era. I'm going to deal with the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. All of that in a series, a video series that I'm going to be preaching and the sound is going to be ripped off of those videos and put into podcast format as far as verbal and audio so that you can hear it. But others of you will be able to go to a new channel that we're creating where you can watch programming around the clock and several hours a day of preaching and teaching and so forth as we put together a new channel. And we'll be telling you about that in the days ahead. But what I want you to understand is we don't shy away from what the Bible teaches. And we're going to teach it just like it is. And we're going to do that not based upon a denominational teaching necessarily, not based upon a particular school of thought necessarily, not based upon what everybody categorizes somebody if they believe one thing. That means that it's like dominoes. It's got to fall. That's just not the way the Word of God is understood. And so we're going to go through it, and I'm going to teach you how I arrived at what I arrived at in terms of theology, in terms of hermeneutics, how to interpret something, how not to, related to about 10 to 12 weeks of a series that has to do with the end time events, as it is called in theology, or the study of last things, eschatology. But for right now, I want you to understand that there is going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And so he says in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. 
In other words, he said, what God's going to do, God is going to do in his own time. But you and I need to live godly lives, holy lives. We need to be diligent and intentional in living in peace and not having our lives blemished and stained by sin. To live above reproach where people can't be pointing fingers at us. And if they do, they'll be ashamed because of our godly living. And consider the long-suffering of our Lord as salvation. He said, here's the viewpoint I want you to look. Not that you're not getting to see the Lord, but that God is patient. He's long-suffering. He's wanting people to come to know Him. He wants salvation to come to people's lives and their families and their households. And he said, just consider this as God's long-suffering as a means of salvation for someone. And so instead of wringing your hands and wondering what's going to happen, be telling people about Jesus and his forgiveness and his love and his mercy, his long suffering in not bringing judgment upon us. In other words, we need to look at this as a reprieve, a time for us to exhibit mercy to others and reach out and share Christ with them. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as in all of his letters, all of his letters, all of Paul's writing, he said, speaking in them of these things in which some things are hard to understand. Now, you think you have trouble with Paul. Peter was an apostle, walked with Jesus, and he had trouble understanding some of the things that Paul said. And he said, these things are hard to be understood, which the untaught, the unschooled, and the unstable, those who don't know up from down, right from left, they twist, and the word there, strablusen, is the word to distort. They distort to their own destruction, as they also do, look at this, the rest of the scriptures. So Peter puts Paul's writings, all of his letters on par at the same level as Torah, as Nevi'im, as Ketuvim, as the law, the prophets, and the writing, as what we call the Old Testament. That's right. In the entire New Testament, when it refers to the scriptures, like Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, where he says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He's talking about the Old Testament, not the New Testament. And so here Peter is saying that Paul's writings, some of them are hard to be deciphered and understood, but people who are unstable, who are ungodly, who twist everything and just look for ways that they can twist things, he said that's the way they do the rest of the scriptures, the other scriptures. So Paul's writing, whichever way you look at, is put on par with the writings, with the scriptures, with the prophets, with the Torah. Peter looks at Paul's writings as scripture. If Peter does, so can we. Not only did Jesus tell his disciples they would write down and he would call to remembrance by the Holy Spirit what they needed to write down, but here, Paul, who was not one of those original 12, he also wrote what Peter considered in all of his letters, Scripture. So not only did Jesus pre-authenticate the writing of the New Testament scriptures, but here Peter, the chief apostle, is validating Paul's writings as indeed the very words of God. Let's keep our eyes toward the heavens. Let's live godly lives as the coming of Jesus approaches. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. 
Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.